today on Never Was a Gamer. It's a very special holiday episode. Welcome to Never Was a Gamer, the show where a late-blooming gamer makes up for lost time playing everyone else's formative games. I'm Michelle, and with me as always is my very festive co-host, Dimitri. Very festive? You're, 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 you're in a celebrating kind of mood, I, I would I think I've say. ever been described as very festive, <laughs> but, uh, but I'll try. We're here celebrating the end of the year. Yes, as Michelle said, this is going to be our holiday episode, a chance to look back on the year that was, the season that was. Reflect on the games that Michelle's played. Reflect on how far she's come, in uh, how much work she's put in. With as little condescension as we can manage. <laughs> <laughs> and and really, this is a, this is an attempt. You're in the middle of grueling through Dark Souls. Yeah, it's uh, it's dark in here. <laughs> I'm in a dark place. So we're going to try to use this opportunity to, to lift your spirits, get some momentum back, let you reflect on everything that you've accomplished this year. Because I know when you play Dark Souls... Sometimes you feel like you ain't shit. It it uh it'll grind you down a bit, I would say, <laughs> in moments. Uh, so yeah, I'm looking forward to. Let's talk about some good stuff. Let's talk about some ease, some stuff I already did. You know, <laughs> not what's to come. <laughs> yes, yeah, so that's partially what today's going to be about, and we're going to look back on the year in maybe Michelle's favorite form. Yes, the award show. Yes. Oh man, I this is a part of uh, end of year wrap up stuff that I always really love. I absolutely love the Game Awards, which happen in December, not because I think they're perfect, but they just they combine three of my favorite things: video games, end of year reflection, and corny award Jeff shows. <laughs> what is Jeff Keighley? Kojima's no, nobody best knows. That, that's Star of Death There's Stranding. always some wild stuff that happens. It's so entertaining watching it with like pizza and shit talking it and being excited for indie games that squeak by and get nominated for stuff like it's such a fun time i also this time of year love listening to like you know all my favorite gaming podcasts and people doing their their game of the year deliberations hearing like what people love that they played all that stuff is just like one of the best parts of my december every year so i'm really glad that we are you know doing our own little version of that today yeah we're gonna do a bunch of things today we're gonna do our Game of the Year awards, mm-hmm. um, but only games that Michelle has played for the show awards. Podcast games. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to do a little gift exchange in the spirit of the holidays. Yeah. And we're going to look ahead a bit uh, at the at the season to come. Yeah, because we are going to be concluding season one in two weeks when I present my thoughts on Dark Souls. <laughs> yeah, we Whether have- I have finished it or not, <laughs> please pray for me. Okay, so we may as well get started with the... First ever NWAG Awards. The WAG Awards. (laughs) And uh, if we make it to year two, maybe I'll get a theme song (laughs) or something in here. But for now, no It's just going to be our our song with like jingle bells in the background. (laughs) (laughs) But basically, this is a chance for us to look back on the, what is it, 12 or 13 games that you've played this year and some of the other characters and stories we've met along the way. So let's get started with our first award, Best Child. Yeah. We encountered a lot of children this year. Yeah, weirdly. A lot of man children. They are not eligible. Less weirdly. <laughs> you have to be a child to be nominated for this award. Yeah, it's in, it's in the name. And so here are our nominees for best children. Young Link, 
from Ocarina of Time. Cheryl Mason from Silent Hill. Cheryl. Baby Metroid from Super Metroid. Steve Crenshaw from the Dateline episode. You about, did great, Steve. <laughs> from the Dateline episode about Grand Theft Auto. And then another Steve, Steve Greaves, a.k.a. Game Face. Yeah, I'm sorry again about that, Steve. From N64, Change the System. Steve Greaves, Jesus Christ. That's why he goes by Game Face. <laughs> Yeah, I, so we have a, we have a mix of in-game and in-real-life uh, nominees in this category. Yeah, they're all from the our extended universe, Yeah, but everything is equivalent within that universe. I would say Steve Crenshaw and Steve Greaves are characters in, in the sense sure. of this podcast, <laughs> at least what we have projected onto them. <laughs> but I, I think for this one, I, I really felt like uh, going a bit traditional, and I think for me, you know... Cheryl was a non-character. The baby Metroid, you know, I mostly had dealings with it as, in fact, an enormous Metroid. Um, So for me, I think Young Link from Ocarina of Time, I loved being Young Link. I loved having this different look at at a character that in other games has felt kind of ageless or kind of like they're in that uh, changeling late adolescent sort of place. I, I really I liked meeting this character as a kid. I guess that's a safe choice. Well, what would you have chosen? Steve Crenshaw. <laughs> he was awesome. He did so well, all things considered. And I looked him up, and he's now a successful lawyer. I, I mean, that makes sense. Good, 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 good work, Steve. So, honorable mention, Steve Crenshaw. Okay. Yep. Okay. Um, our next award is separate from Best Child. It is Naughtiest Boy. Yeah, there were a lot of naughty boys this yeah, year. We really had to whittle down this list, to be honest. So our nominees for this one are Snake from Metal Gear Solid, Patches from Dark Souls. I've played past the Patches part. <laughs> and you just had to put him in here. Dark Souls is not really going to be represented, but yeah. you had to stick Patches on yeah, for look, the naughtiest boy. If you have played it, you know why he's <laughs> there. You know what he did. Uh, Dave Halverson from Game Fan. Mm-hmm. I'd say he was pretty naughty. I mean, just that Earthworm Jim score was naughty. Come on, dude. Get it together. Uh, we've Ken Lobb from the N64 Change the System darkroom segment. The uh, sweeping his bangs out of his face. Yeah, it, there's a bit of yikes around that. Uh, and last but not least, Mido from Ocarina of Time. He's the little kid bully. Maybe who, Mido. Maybe Mido. It's hard to say. You don't ever hear but it. But he's then. a bully. He's a, bu- he's a little snot-nosed punk kid. He's a very naughty boy, those I would the, say. There's a somebody conspicuous by his absence on this list. Yeah, I mean the the person for whom the naughtiest boy category sort of got named after, who is Tommy Grand Theft Auto. Tommy Versetti. Tommy Versetti. Hey, where's Tommy Versetti? He's not on this list. <laughs> Insufficiently naughty. Oh. He was just a boring crime dude. I don't think there is one naughty thing about him. Hot take. Yeah. On Tommy Versetti. Yeah. He he's feeling snubbed. Yeah. Who who then is the naughtiest boy? It's Snake, dude. It's Snake? It's Snake. Snake's like low key, like gross shit with Meryl and his like little tricks. <laughs> his little tricks? Yeah, his little tricks. Like when he's in the a box. Old, the old ketchup bottle on the floor. <laughs> the being in a box. All his little tricks. He's such a naughty boy. Not only that, he's the naughtiest. He's the naughtiest of this year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, our next category is about another type of naughty boy, fans. <laughs> uh, so this is something that you have called 
the Fans Are Wrong Award. Someone named it that. I don't remember who it was. <laughs> I mean, these are all your nominees. So these are all things that you think that fans of these games are wrong about. They are the places where I feel like my take or experience most diverges from the uh, the the popular response to certain things. Okay. It's where you're wrong. <laughs> oh, so it's the I am wrong award. No, no. It's it's like, yeah. It, the collective it's, fan. It's where, where I felt, where things hit me differently than they hit some other people. Okay. So I'll read out these nominees and maybe you can elaborate on why why the fans are wrong. Sure. So the Psychomantis fight. Hideo, calm the hell down. The water temple from Ocarina of Time. It's not that bad when you have good controls. <laughs> Zen from Half-Life. It's kind of cool. Aren't you sick of being in the facility at that point? Strategy guides. They tell you too much. I want hints. I don't want every damn thing laid out there so that I can't avoid spoilers when I go looking for the answer to one thing. And then it says Grand Theft Auto in general. It's like yeah. the concept of Grand Theft Auto. I, I've thought about it more. I would be shocked if any of those games are fun. <laughs> I know it's like, I think GTA 5 is like the highest grossing game of all time or something stupid like that. So I know lots of people have found the fun, but I just like, why though? Okay, so what are the fans <laughs> the most wrong about? The winner is... I feel this will upset you. It's the Psychomantis fight. Because it's so thwarted by the practical effect, like all the cool of like, whoa, this is blowing my mind, is so undermined by the fact that every time you die and have to restart, you have to go back up to your console and unplug your controller again and replug it into first player and then go through all that dialogue again and act surprised again and then go up <laughs> and plug it into hole two. Like you have sucked all the you've sucked all the cool energy out of it by the time you have like gone through that process twice. Like it so undermines its own big idea, and also the fact that it keeps it keeps flashing with Hideo in the corner every time. You get to do something that cute once. You get to be that cute one time. You don't get to do it multiple times over a single fight. It's not even like you do it once Award per time that you playing. You're yeah. getting pulled off with <laughs> the, the cane. <laughs> you're getting the hook. Listen, it's, there's lots to like there, but it undermines it, it, itself. Get off the stage. <laughs> It's time. We're going to take a quick break. When we get back, we'll do a little gift exchange so we can reset before the next set of awards. We'll be right back. back and in the spirit of the holidays Michelle and I decided to do a little gift exchange yeah so we decided that we are going to each give each other a gift that is a game and we've chosen games for each other that 
you know, the other person hasn't got around to playing, they probably wouldn't otherwise get around to playing, but that we think they would really get something out of. So we've specifically chosen these because we think they will appeal to the other person. And so we did that exchange uh, a couple of weeks ago. We've both spent a little bit of time with the games. We haven't, you know, I haven't fully finished mine, um, but we were both far enough into them that, you know, we're, we're ready to, to talk about them a little bit. Yeah. So let's start with the game that I gifted you. Mm hmm. And, you know, I, there were so many games that I was considering. And, you know, there are some games that maybe down the road we would have gotten to for the show. But this is one that I thought I really wanted you to play. I thought you would really enjoy. And I thought the time was right for you to play Pikmin. Yeah. So I gave you the original Pikmin. You played it on a GameCube mm -hmm. with the GameCube controller, which is one of the reasons that I gifted it to you. <laughs> So I guess before we talk about Pikmin, I can explain a little bit more about why I gave this to you because I, we just kind of gave each other the games cold. We didn't go into an explanation about why we why we gifted them. Yeah. And for me, there are a few reasons that I thought that you would enjoy Pikmin. One is that you've been really into turn-based strategy recently. Mm -hmm. And this is a strategy game. It's a different kind of strategy game. It's real-time strategy game. It's arguably a puzzle game mm -hmm. more so than a strategy game. But basically, I want a game that would ease you into a different kind of strategy game, but still hopefully scratch some of the strategy itch. Right. Since we haven't done strategy games for the show yet, and I know there are others that you've been meaning to play and just haven't been able to get to because you've been playing Dark Souls or, <laughs> or Grand Theft Auto or something else. Another reason that I want you to play this game was I was hoping to redeem the GameCube controller. <laughs> yeah, fair. So this is something that... People probably don't know, but you have one previous encounter with the GameCube controller. You picked it up to play Luigi's Mansion. Correct. You hated that controller. I ha I hated uh, the little yellow analog stick, specifically. The C-stick. The C-stick. For me, again, this is nostalgia. I have such great feelings for the GameCube and for that controller. But Pikmin is a game that I think really makes incredible use of the form of that specific controller. Yeah. And so I wanted you to hopefully get a feel for the GameCube controller at its best. Yeah, uh, I have to say it was significantly <laughs> redeemed in this game. Um, even including the C-Stick, you don't have to use the C-Stick a ton, but you do use it a bit. And I was very shocked by how natural it felt to do that. It just feels good to press that big green button also. Yeah, the big green A. Yeah. Pikmin makes great use of it. And the other reason I gave it to you is just that I thought the idea of controlling, you know, an army of tiny, tiny creatures through a beautiful garden-like environment uh, is so charming and necessary at the end of 2020. Yeah, it was a bomb on my soul. Honest, B-A-L-M, not uh, B-O-M-B for clarity. I also love plant stuff. I love little cute animated mm -hmm. plant stuff. Like this was a great pick for me, truly. Uh, and I'm, re I'm really glad you did it. So just to set up, if you haven't played Pikmin, what this is. So like Dimitri said, you are uh, Captain Olimar. You're a spacefaring guy who's crashed on this planet that basically looks like a little garden world. Like you're sort of the size of a bug in this world. And you discover these creatures called Pikmin that are like sentient little bloomed sprouts of like flowers that uh, you accumulate masses of. There's different colors that have different abilities. And you're navigating a hostile world with them, using them to clear obstacles, you know, sometimes fight some very cute like insectile enemies and find the parts for your spaceship that fell off the ship in the crash, bring them back to your spaceship so that Olimar can get off the planet. And he figures he has about 30 days of, you know, oxygen or whatever left. So 
you have 30 parts to find in 30 days. And so you have this uh, sun up, sun down mechanism where you and all your guys, all your Pikmin, you have to be safely back in your ship by the time the sun goes down so that you can get off the planet. Yeah, I was really curious to see how you would respond to these time constraints. Uh, it's one of the reasons that I wanted you to go back and play Pikmin 1. Mm-hmm. And when this game came out, that's something that really stressed me out, this idea <laughs> of the time constraints. But it's something that I ultimately came to enjoy. The The later Pikmins don't have it. Mm-hmm. And in some ways, I think they're better for it. But there's still something about having the stress of the time that I think really lends itself to to this world and to identifying with Olimar and his plight and, and giving you the sense of urgency yeah. to actually go out and be as efficient as possible. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I think the game uh, has an interesting relationship with like optimizing because mm-hmm. of that, as opposed to being more exploration driven and more about uh, getting to know this world and, and where you're going. It's much more goal oriented. It's like, go figure out where your pieces are. And then there's sort of different areas that will open up. There's a couple of different ones that each have a bunch of pieces in each. So it's very like, identify where your stuff is, figure out your plan of what you, you know, who are you going to have to clear out of the way? What obstacles are you going to have to take down and get your guys out there? Because Olimar can't do anything. Everything has to happen through the Pikmin. They have to lift up your pieces. They have to go wherever you're, wherever you need them to go. They do all the fighting. They do everything, everything, everything. Uh, but at the same time, you pretty much have to direct them to do the things that they're going to do. They do have minds of their own. They're dumb dumbs. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but they're they're not the brightest. They will walk straight into water and drown. <laughs> right. Very easily. And scream and just be <laughs> flailing around and unable to get out when you're like, come to the shore. Come but, to the shore. But the thing you bring up is another thing I really find interesting about Pikmin in that it's trying to balance being a strategy game. So trying to be a game about optimization, about efficiency, ultimately about speed, and then also a game about exploration. Mm-hmm. And did, did you find that those things were in balance or did you find that they were in conflict where, you know, you had a desire to explore, but the time constraints forced you to, you know, optimize and maybe you missed something? I actually find the time function a little bit of a weird choice for this game because I think that one of the things that's interesting to me about this is that this is a a type of tactics game that completely avoids so many of the uh, conventional or signature sort of trappings and styles and aesthetics and functions of the genre. I think this is a game that very openly is very friendly. It's sort of primary candy colors. It's very cute. Like I imagine this courting a vastly different audience than a lot of the games that would, you know, strip down to their barest mechanics have a lot in common with mm-hmm. something like this. And so I think all of that lends itself much more to a slightly more casual, and I don't use that pejoratively, puzzle-ish, exploration-ish um, game. And at times I find myself chafing a little bit under the time constraints, you know, I guess sometimes in a productive way, sometimes it's, you know, this day has gone wrong. I could have done this faster. I could have done this better. I'm going to not save. I'm going to reload to the previous day and I'm going to try all of this Mm -hmm. again. And I think that's okay. But I think, I think this, this game specifically in, in so many of the other design choices it's making uh, could really have, you know, sustained itself and, and found an audience and, and been strong without that. There is a lot to see here. There's a lot to look at. Like 
some of the some of the puzzles that you're solving are multiple stage. You know, it'll be okay. We have to blow up this uh, barrier be- between us, and then um, take out these four guys. Who otherwise, if we don't, when we're going to get this part, and very slowly carrying the part back to our home base, they're going to attack us, and we're going to end up losing too many little Pikmin. Um, and some of those things reset. Like if you don't get the whole way through and get your piece back through, you know, that open area that you've cleared out. Some of those, you know, bad guys will have respawned by the morning. There'll be things that you need to do again. So sometimes you do have these things where you have to get a fair bit done in one day, really, to make it to make it count. And that's not something that I mind in games generally, but I think in this one, it leads to an interesting, weird relationship that you have with your Pikmin, specifically where they're both like, your troops that you sort of have to treat as a little bit expendable in certain mm. circumstances. Mm-hmm. Like you have to be willing to go and fight guys that are going to take out half of the Pikmin that you are bringing to that fight. You have to. Half. You are going to lose Pikmin in this game. I'm sure there's like speedrunners out there who can get through without losing any Pikmin. But like I think realistically, in some senses, you have to treat them like troops. In some senses, you have to accept a level of disposability in order to meet these objectives, particularly under the time that you're given. Whereas I think also the game is cultivating this real affection in you for your Pikmin. And I think, you know, some of what Olimar, Olimar sort of has these journal entry things at the end of every day that also reflect him learning about them, their functions and getting attached to them, starting to feel sort of paternal towards mm-hmm. them. And... You know, I think most uh, most interestingly for me, when you are leaving for the night, if you've left any Pikmin behind, um, they'll the the idea is they'll get uh, killed by you know difficult creatures come out at night on this planet. But it will show you all the Pikmin you left behind running into camp desperately as your rocket ship is lifting off the world with all the Pikmin you saved, and then getting swarmed and overwhelmed and devoured by the monsters on the planet like they don't die off screen you see them struggle like you you really it makes you look at the pikmin that you abandoned (laughs) and i think it really in those moments wants you to have a a bond with them or or to treat them as non-disposable not as just tools but as you know living things that you feel something for and i think um that tension just kind of you just end up feeling a bit ambivalent about it where i Mm. think without the time crunch i think i would have felt i had more space to be more protective of you know my my troops and like the the little guys that i'm working with um so i don't know i think i think in some ways the game is is talking in is thinking in two different directions on that point yeah i don't know i think the challenge is for you as the player or as olimar is do you privilege getting your parts back to your ship as quickly as possible, or do you stop early and make sure that you can gather all your Pikmin again? Mm-hmm. And so I, I think that's the, the tension that the game wants to have a conversation about. I don't think that's, uh, I don't know. I don't think I agree that that's the game talking in two directions at once. I think that that talking in those directions is the point. Yeah, um, I buy that. I think it just, I think my challenge is that so one one other thing that I think is a bit of a, a strange choice for the game to have made is at the start, 
Olimar says, there are 30 parts on my spaceship out Mm -hmm. there. I need 30 parts to get off this planet and, you know, succeed. Mm -hmm. And I have 30 days to do it. So the 30-day deadline stays firm, but the find 30 parts doesn't. About like 12 to 15 days through, he says, you know, I think I probably could get this ship off this planet with a little less than mm, 30 mm-hmm. parts. It's like halfway through your time, basically. He's not an engineering genius. <laughs> he's not. This is He's a very cute little, like, you know, kind of smart, kind of dim. He's like <laughs> a child's imagination of what an, a space explorer mm-hmm. would be. You know, he's like on this new planet, observing this new species. Yeah. But then also like this part for my ship, it does, uh, it's the it's the doodad thing. I He's Whatever, the, I need it. Get he's it. the explorer. He didn't make the ship. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Which is very sweet. Um, but I think, so it also for me changes the calculation on a little bit of that when we've gone from me sort of thinking I have to be going at roughly a part a day and Mm -hmm. every day I don't get a part in, it means I'm going to have to have another day where I get two or I'm going to have spent all this time with the game and I'm all all Amar is going to be stuck forever, right? That's a very different calculation than knowing, okay, whatever, I have to get 25 parts over 30 days. So, okay, I can, I can, there is a little bit more flexibility, even if I'm, I'm sure I like don't get the best ending or something like that if I don't get all 30, but like that opens up a space to make different choices. Like you start out with a very harsh win or fail state as your goal at the end. Um, And I think the the sort of pleasurable tension that you're talking about really benefits from having that slight bit more flexibility where you're not like looking at the clock and being like, I'm going to lose this game after putting like six hours <laughs> into it because I cared too much about like leaving behind these little red dudes. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. And I, I wondered because later on you don't have that 30 day timeline, timeline, but the games are much longer in general Mm. and so i wonder to what extent in this version the intent was that you would have to play it multiple times maybe that makes sense uh, yeah to to really optimize and get the 30 um i i don't know but i think it is it is kind of built maybe for multiple playthroughs Mm -hmm. which might not be the best choice to make for this game which is partly probably why they went in a different direction for the for the subsequent ones yeah and i mean i i say all of this but also i have thoroughly enjoyed my time with this game um i i really think it's strong i think it's an excellent core concept and mechanic like the way they've figured out how to maneuver and work with both this kind of sentient ai that has individuals who will respond to things but also where you have to manipulate them as a mass. Like, I think that division is is really interesting. And I don't know that I've played another game that so clearly has to f- force you to reckon with both your Pikmin individually and their behaviors and also manipulating large numbers of them. Like, a thing that constantly happens is you'll be steering a whole bunch of guys down like a long grassy field or whatever, and you'll walk past one little grassy patch that like a couple of guys on the fringe will get distracted and will go start like eating the grass yeah. and like getting, you know, and they're doing that to power up and because they, you know, they automatically will go take advantage of that if they're standing near it. But like if you have the number of Pikmin that you want, you have to go back and get it. You're like, oh, okay. It's very different than like commanding troops as yes. you would in, you know, the strategy games that you might be more familiar with. Absolutely. Um, and I'm kind of interested in this sort of animal AI that 
almost like made me think of of um Shadow of the Colossus hmm. and and mm-hmm. working with um the horse in in that and some of my other experiences of playing with animal companions in games that are their own thing because yeah pikmin will get distracted by stuff you walk by they will if you haven't really controlled their exact direction they'll wander into hazards like they'll do all kinds of stuff like you are constantly tending to and maintaining and controlling and like corralling them mm-hmm. into the right places and keeping them safe and like it again is a really interesting example of walking the line between like okay how much of this is a fun challenge <laughs> and how much of this is like just becomes frustrating mm-hmm. and i honestly think this game does this really well i think especially you know this is the first one of these that they made um and i don't know how many examples there would have been of this kind of ai before making this but and I, I mean this game to put it in context the kind of game it is is still relatively unique because especially up to this point, to get something like a, a real-time strategy game on a console was more or less unheard of because mm. they they so much lend themselves to mouse and keyboard so you can actually control all your troops pretty easily. With such precision yeah. and... Yeah, and overhead camera. Yeah. And so to bring this to console, what they did in this case, as you know, right, they they made this about kind of one individual character who then has to manage all of these troops by himself. And you're actually doing that mm-hmm. uh, in a much more kind of tactile you know one-to-one connected way with with the protagonist you're not some kind of disembodied mouse clicking yeah. the troops you're this character who has to go out into the world and find these things so it's and again bringing the character back down to you know the the kind of behind the character almost mario mm-hmm. perspective so really rethinking what a real-time strategy game would be and there are very few games that do that and and part of the reason for doing that is because this is what's possible with you know a controller right yeah one of the interesting consequences of that, at least, is that you, as a as a player character, are put into a completely different relationship with your with your units. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, part of part of this is that there's no, you know, clicking on something and delegating your guys to go there. You like, if you want them working on repairing a bridge so that you can cross over to this other island, you get all your guys and you get them by usually running to them. And then you run to the bridge and you like literally put them against the 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 bridge. So it's it's much more action oriented. Everything unfolds in real time. And so yeah, it's so refreshingly different than other tactics games that I played. Uh and I absolutely will play other games in this series. Oh, that's awesome. Okay. Yeah, I'm Ooh. like, I'm both going to, f- I haven't finished Pikmin yet, but I'm both going to finish it. And also I'm very excited to see where this series goes. For, for me, this almost feels more like a proof of concept for mm. a series that is going to be great than mm-hmm. even like a, a full game itself. Like what I love here is I'm seeing ideas, I'm seeing designers like mm-hmm. figuring out what, okay, if, if this, then what else? You know what I mean? Yeah, and I think you'll be, Pleasantly surprised by how much it grows in the next two iterations. That's great. What a treat. That's just wonderful. So with that, let's get back into our awards. And for these next three awards, we're into things that are less wonderful. We're talking about (laughs) baddies and villains. Baddies and villains are great. They're necessary in games, not in life. (laughs) And so our first award is for biggest boss. Which means best boss fight, not yep. literally the biggest boss. Yeah, that would be someone from Shadow or, or possibly or, Dark Souls. Or Big Boss. 
He's not bigger than a shadow than a colossus. But his name is Big Boss. Not biggest boss. Maybe that's in the future if Kojima ever gets to All right, this is stupid. Read the nominees. (laughs) So you have Shadow Ganon from Ocarina of Time. Hell yeah. Looking ahead, you have Quellag from Dark Souls. Mm Mm-hmm. Creepy. You have the first sniper wolf fight from Metal Gear Solid. Yeah, I love taking that out of Van. You have... Phalanx from Shadow of the Colossus, which mm-hmm. is the uh, hot airbags, as yep. you called him. And then you have Krakameyer from Super Metroid. Hell yeah, that fake out death. So those are all your favorite boss fights of, of this past year. What was your favorite or what was the best? Can I just say, these are good boss fights. Like we've, we've done a lot of dunking on boss fights mm-hmm. over the course of this podcast. I think all of these are you know, really communicate how you can do this well. It doesn't have, we don't have to live like this. We don't have to tolerate bad bosses. Mm-hmm. There are good, but not all bosses. That is a good takeaway from from this, uh, from yeah. the games we've played for the show. Yeah. But I have to say, I think probably my favorite of all of these, It, I'll say there was an honorable mention to Krokemire mm. from Super Metroid. I, I love it. It freaked me right out. But I have to go with Shadow Ganon from Ocarina. Oh, really? Ocarina's second win of the of the awards. Yeah. Wow. I it was so fun. It was such a set piece. It was such a surprise. It's it took me the right amount of time to figure out what I had to do. It was like not immediate, but not because the game wasn't communicating what I should do. Hmm. It just took me a minute to like get my bearings, piece it together, which I I love that. He feels ghostly and impossible to fight it has such good atmosphere and such good vibes and then you it ends with this again kind of duel thing like i just i love that fight and you preferred this fight to the final showdown with ganondorf slash ganon i truly do so i've thought about this more since uh our ocarina episode uh, especially because i know that a lot of people really love the the ganon fight in in ocarina i think they mostly like his seeing him play the organ (laughs) <laughs> like the the reveal of that fight, I think is part of it. Okay, fair. <laughs> okay, um, I mean, I think I think part of it is part of why I think I like the Shadow Ganon fight better. Actually, is I think a lot of the the stuff that makes the the Ganon fight at the end memorable is is stuff that does unfortunately fall into that category of like I've seen iterations of mm. this done in later games, and so it's not going to hit me as hard when I'm when I'm encountering it here. Whereas like who goes into a painting? Shadow Ganon just rules. I mean Mario, lots of times, <laughs> famously, <laughs> as we've learned. But yeah, it's just so cool. It's just so cool. He's like riding away from you, the riding towards you. It's so creepy. Okay, so congratulations to Shadow Ganon. Let's see if Ganon or Ganondorf can keep it going because our next award is best villain. Yes. And so for these nominees, we have. Ganondorf once again, mm-hmm. and not Ganon. Yeah. I think what I like in a villain is characterization. And I think for me, you know, this isn't just a boss fight, right? We're not just talking about the fight. I think Ganondorf as a guy is the guy who was the villain of Ocarina. Okay. Like way more than Not than the Ganon. big pig. Yeah, yeah. Not the big pig. Okay. Uh, we have Dahlia Gillespie from Silent Hill. She's a creepy nun. First Silent Hill nod. Yep. And she tricks you. She lies to you for so long. We have the G-Man from Half-Life. We know how you felt about the G-Man. I hate the G-Man. 
I cannot believe that game thought that I would willingly work with him to save my own hide at the end of this. You're struggling. He's staring at you, fixing his Just tie. Just watching. Just watching that whole time. We have Wander from Shadow of the Colossus in a twist. Yeah. he's He, I think, is probably the villain of that game. You know, he sort of brings the down. He makes very silly decisions. And even if you do sort of understand and brings the downfall of an entire world and kills so many incredible creatures. Are you saying that I'm the villain? <laughs> what? And, yeah. And then finally, from Metal Gear Solid, you have Kojima. Hideo Kojima, the ultimate villain of Metal Gear Solid. Who, we did talk this one over. We both agreed that he is very much present in the game, yeah. so he counts. His name is in the game. Come on. <laughs> He, his presence is felt and he wants his presence felt. So yeah. he qualifies as a villain in that game. Yeah. And I think I think to explain my choice, I think I need to characterize what makes a best villain. Okay. Um, this has to be someone who is intimidating, who has an aura of menace. And I think one of the crucial things is that I have to love to hate him. Them. Hmm. Them. I have to I have to feel a real something there has to be something compelling that just just absolutely makes you feel that this is an object of malevolence and badness in this world that you have to deal with and you cannot wait to deal with. You're giving this to Kojima, aren't you? I'm not. Do you want to take another guess? The G-Man. Yeah. It's Good the choice. G-Man. I think for for Mystique, for his um his complete lack of emotional inflection for anything for all the the critical points when you see him when you're frantically running through this facility the the ambivalent you know you don't really know what his deal is right up until the end the i am dying to know what is up with mm-hmm. his weird speech patterns like what is he mm-hmm. like I, I don't trust him. I've been sort of forced into an alliance with him by the end that I do not want to be in. I cannot wait. I will play another Half-Life game <laughs> in the hopes that I get to deal with the G-Man the way I want to at some point. I'm in it. And I think we talked about this at the time. Um, all of this would have been undercut by, you know, a single G-Man center cutscene. Yeah. No, no, no. He doesn't get any of that. Yeah. You could easily not notice him until the end. You know, someone. It makes him re- so scary. He's when you just do notice always. Him. He's got, he's borderline like Slender Man vibes. <laughs> in that you just see him in the suit at certain moments. I think he's an absolutely top-notch villain, all the more frightening because of um, some of the blank spaces in his characterization and his uh, just what his deal is. He's great. And so congratulations, G-Man, best villain. I hate you. And now we move on to a category that uh, Michelle has called the true villain. Yes. So this is, I want to contrast this with best villain. True villain is just the guy who was just absolutely such a shit just stunk up just ruined just got in the way for the whole damn game where you're not having fun hating them you're just like oh god come on that's a that's a true villain the true villain of these games so the nominees for this one first up we have Lockatoo, which i really use as a proxy for the camera in mario 64 by far the the biggest obstacle to enjoyment of that game well uh second 
the yapping maw from Super Metroid. You this, hated that thing. This is a small enemy that recurs in many rooms and every damn <laughs> time. It was like, I think I took more damage from yapping maws than I did from like the Ridley fight. He just held he just held you underwater. He, yeah, they just his little claw. suck you down with it and they take off a lot of damage. They pull you in. I just, they're just awful. Yapping maw from Super Metroid. Third, Liu Kang's yapping maw from Mortal Kombat 2. An absolutely unforgivable, like vocal I do everything. It, but it would be offensive. Don't do, you can't. And also, people are listening probably in headphones. <laughs> that would be a nightmare. <laughs> but you know exactly what I'm talking about. It it ruined every fight that like I just hated it. It made me so mad every time I had to Bicycle fight Liu Kang. Is amazing. Oh my god, I hate it. Fourth up, gaping dragon from Dark Souls. Looking ahead. Okay, I'm not going to go into this because we're going to talk about it. Rest assured, we're going to talk about the gaping dragon, but he's on this list. Uh, fifth, the jungle drums from Half-Life. So this is a song. The this music is- that plays when you're fighting the giant head crab thing. The gonad. <laughs> okay. This is the most chilling thing that I think I've ever encountered in a game. Scarier than any part of, seri- of Silent Hill. This song is messed up it it like (laughs) i want to leave the room whenever i hear it it's awful and last but not least 90s ad campaigns just generally (laughs) what were we doing what were they thinking what did they think of us hardcore they didn't care for us dudes challenge dudes dudes with dicks brains and brawn yeah cute girl (laughs) (laughs) yeah it just it's it was like not a great well, it's just not a great period for for ads, I don't think. Um, so those are my true villains, the things that actually ruined, you know, or or negatively contributed to the games that they were affiliated with. And the winner is. There's so many that could have won this, but there's only one on this list that I hated. With not the productive hate that I felt towards the G-Man, but the hate that made me want to drop gaming as a hobby (laughs) and just not do this anymore. All of this. And that is the gaping dragon from Dark Souls. I would have quit that damn game right there if I had not committed to it for this stupid show. Is it the gaping part? The gaping is... Listen, we're going to talk about the Gaping Dragon. I don't want to step on the next episode's toes, but like, goddamn. Little sneak peek. Holy. That thing is ugly. Okay. That thing sucks. Oh, my God. Let's let's move away from the villains. Take Ooh. another quick break. When we come back, we'll continue our gift exchange with the gift that you got me. <laughs> Much cheerier. Sort of. No gaping elements. <laughs> no. back for the second half of our gift exchange yeah and i'm so excited to talk about the game that i got you and i'm really glad that you you know i sort of was able to force you to play this (laughs) um yeah it's it's something that you had been talking about for a while and every time i heard you talk about it, it's like oh i should 
Look at that. Yeah, it's exactly that kind of thing. So this game was Signs of the Sojourner, which I played uh, a fair bit earlier this year. And I guess I can say a little bit about why I thought this might be something you'd be interested in. Um, I think one of the things that you really appreciate is attempts to capture different systemic things in game mechanics, um, approaches to using familiar tools in games in ways that are are expressive or communicative of, of different kinds of things, different things, relationship, you know, things that, you know, are that we haven't necessarily seen embraced in games before. I also think you really like being in a space that has a particular flavor to it, and that has a, a clear identity. I think you like games that um, leave mystery, uh, that don't have, you know, every corner of a map or every detail filled in. And this does all of that. For me, this is a game that, you know, really has a has a core idea about what it wants to do mechanically and then leans into that as far as that idea will go and and not much further, which I think is to its credit. You know, it's a it's a smallish game. It's contained. But also I think it has a lot of flavor, a lot of charm. I love the art and the music and mm -hmm. sort of the mood of of this entire space. Um, and I, ju I just thought I just thought you'd be into it. Yeah. So let me set this up for people who haven't played it, because I think unlike Pikmin, this is a game that is less well known. Mm -hmm. Right off the top, I'd say if anything you hear us say about this game piques your interest, go and play this game. It's cheap. It's short. But yeah. In this game, you play uh, an unnamed character in this small town called Barto in a potentially post-apocalyptic, I don't know, out of time kind of yep. space. Um, your mother has just passed away and you've inherited her store. And um, as you learned, she was part of this caravan of traders. And so you join this caravan with your initial goal of buying goods for the store so that you can keep it and seemingly the entire town afloat. Mm -hmm. uh, so depending on the choices you make and the directions you take, uh, you can start to uncover some of the game's mysteries. You can learn more about your mom's past. You can learn about this powerful family who seems to have a grudge against the whole town and against your mom. Uh, you can run off with the thief, right? There's lots to do, and, yeah. and it does warrant multiple playthroughs. Um, but really, that's burying the lead, because what this is at its heart is a, I don't know, a, a conversation simulator, visual novel, deck building game. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Right? So the way you progress to this game is that you move from location to location, and all you do in these locations is you have conversations with the various characters you meet along the way. And you have these conversations by matching symbols on cards. So you have a deck of 10 cards with uh, a symbol on the left and a symbol on the right. So, you know, it could be a circle and a square or a mm -hmm. triangle and a square or a triangle and a circle. And you and your conversation partner alternate turns. And the goal is to just match the symbol on the right side of the card with the symbol on the left side of the card. And as long as you match the symbols, the conversation will progress smoothly. But if you're unable to match symbols... You or your partner will have a moment of miscommunication, mm -hmm. enough mistakes, and the conversation just ends abruptly and poorly. Yeah. And as I said, you start out with 10 cards, and you're only ever able to have 10 cards. Uh, and so when you start out, your cards only have triangles and circles on them. And so if you meet a character in the world who has, say, circles and squares... You're in for the hard time because you can never match anything with the square. Right. And of course, circles and triangles are the symbols that everyone uses in your hometown that yeah. you're starting from. Yeah. And as you venture out, you see more and more different types of, of symbols. 
But how you can overcome this is at the end of every conversation, regardless of whether it went well or not, you're forced to discard a card that you have and select one of your opponent's cards. So this is how you gain cards with new symbols. Mm -hmm. But because of the 10 card limit, it's pretty much impossible to have a deck that will allow you to have successful conversations with everybody. Yeah. All right. So so it's this deck building game that systemically tries to model the ebbs and flows of conversations. Um, And yeah, like you guessed, um, I really appreciate something that tries to do this, that really tries to take advantage of the medium in this way, and that tries to communicate something abstract through pure mechanics, in this case, conversation. Mm -hmm. And the different symbols sort of are connected to different conversational styles. Yeah, and we'll we'll get there. Okay. Yeah, that's that's kind of something I had an issue with. Sure. Which we'll get to. Sure. Yeah. Because yeah, when, when this game works when it it really works and does a really successful job of modeling certain aspects of communication Mm -hmm. just some examples so building chains is so much fun so when you can chain four like symbols together uh you create what the game calls an accord which basically lets you play one mismatch without disrupting the flow of the conversation right this is so good because building up those chains is so satisfying and I really like how that kind of models goodwill. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? Like you've you've had enough good positive banter that if there's a misstep, it's not going to completely derail the conversation. Right. I thought that was that was really smart. Very satisfying to do that. Uh, and when you can get those going, just kind of the reassurance that, you know, you can you can do a mismatch, but you'll be OK. Yeah. Yeah. One thing that I loved and by loved, I mean hated, but in a good productive <laughs> way uh, is when a mismatch comes from the other end. Yeah. So much of the time, it's you as the player without the appropriate card, and you're the one who struggles to make the match. Uh, I think it's so much more interesting when it's it's the other, it's the NPC who does it. Because um, mm-hmm. this game, the way the game works, the AI will never kind of intentionally mismatch. Though sometimes it feels like they do, and I <laughs> freaking hate those guys. There's certain times where you just like it, and this is why this is so you're like, productive. How do you not have a circle? <laughs> Yeah, and you're like, I've been working so hard with you yes. to make yes. this work. Yes. And you're like, please work with me. Come on. Absolutely. Just please work with me. And he, and they just kind of like shrug and then like, play a card that doesn't match. And yeah, and that frustration, it's like, I tried to set everything up for you to make this as easily as possible. Yeah. And you're the one who went ahead and you can't let this happen. <laughs> you know, you can't just let us have a good conversation. Yeah. So mad. And yeah, so good. And like I said, it doesn't happen that frequently. I say now that I wish it happened more. I probably don't actually wish right. it. It probably happens the exact right amount of times. <laughs> um, it's so, so sad when you go back to your hometown and you can't communicate with your best friend. This guy, Elias, who's just the nicest guy, your best friend since childhood. You're maybe adoptive brother. It's yeah. unclear. He has, unclear a relationship. Yeah. he has a very close relationship with your family. And, you know, you go out and he stays back to take care of the store while you go and follow the caravan. And so over the course of your journey, you've collected so many cards with different symbols that it's when, by the time you get back to your hometown, it's really hard to connect with those people. And it's just heartbreaking to have failed conversations with this guy who's just like so upbeat and so on your side. And uh, there's nothing you can do about it when uh, he still has his circles and triangles and you're just full of diamonds and squares. This hit me so hard in a like, uh, you know when you go to university and then you come back and try to hang out with your friends from high mm-hmm. school again and you're just like I don't know I, I don't know I don't know I gotta go <laughs> <laughs> it's like I don't know I think there's something there's something uh, it's sort of contrasted narratively with like you know you having been 
out in the world a little bit and not just in the same the same routines and this and the same people mm-hmm. and everything all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing I really liked it didn't this didn't happen as often I would have liked. I wish there was more of this, um, but I do like that you can sometimes get choices where you can intentionally fail and that's a worthwhile mm-hmm. option. Yep. Uh, Like, for example, a character will ask you to distract another character so they can steal something and you don't have to go along with the plan. You can you can intentionally derail that conversation. I wish the game did more with that. Yeah. um, But I like that that was there. Um, Near the end of the game, there's a traumatic event occurs and characters start having a new grief symbol in their decks. Uh, Here's where I learned something about myself because I just refuse to carry other people's grief with me. Wow. I just refused outright. I just took a stance. It's like, I can empathize with you, but I'm not carrying your grief with me. That is such an interesting decision because you played through this multiple times. Was that you did? You never picked up grief cards over that? Whole no, time? I refused. Wow. So there actually is. I did learn that there is a way to break the game. Mm-hmm. Um, so the way I kind of got around grief and, and a lot of other things is when I realized that you can get these cards called Accommodate and mm-hmm. they're blank cards. And basically when you play them, they they just become whatever the previous card was. They duplicate both the symbols from the previous yeah. card. Yeah. And you can get those from Elias in your hometown. And once you get enough of those, um, because of how the AI works, the AI loves playing car- cards that have the same symbol on both sides if they have them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you can you can just accommodate your way through the game and setting up those things where you have that we talked about where you have the goodwill backstop. So even if something yeah. goes wrong, you're not losing the conversation. Yeah, yeah, you can pretty much win every conversation like that. Um, on the one hand, breaks the game. On the other hand, kind of plays into the metaphor where if you just kind of go through life just being the most accommodated. I agree. Yeah, you're, <laughs> it, it's pretty boring, but you probably will get what you want in a lot of cases. So I kind of justified that for myself. But yeah, but no, never picked up the grief card. Why would I do that? That's so interesting. Um, I was like, let me learn how to speak this language of this thing that we all share. No. Can, <laughs> I love that. I will empathize, but not carrying your grief. Okay. I'm sure there'll be an opportunity for me to have my own grief. I don't need double grief. Okay. Yeah. The other thing this models really well, too, is fatigue is this card you can get mm. as, a, as an extra card, which you accumulate as you travel, and it doesn't match with anything. And it's like... Yeah, I know. I, I know what it means to become a grumpy asshole. And I'm totally. glad this game modeled that. Yeah, it um, returning home at the end of your caravan back to your town mm. and having like five fatigue cards in your deck and fatigue can't match with anything. So you lose twice pretty much back. Yeah, you get two mismatches in a row. Yeah. And I again, like stumbling back to your hometown with a with a handful of those fatigue cards and just not being being so tired you can't hold a conversation and everybody's together so excited to see you your buddy is yeah. like you're back and you're just like oh god i that's me coming home from work so many days like again yeah. that like captures yeah. something so clearly yeah so when this game works again it works really well and it communicates so much just through its mechanics um but the other thing I learned about this game is that sometimes mechanics just need to stay abstract mm. uh, and that forcing a metaphor too much just makes me aware of its limits. Uh, and this is where these symbols come back for me. So um, as Michelle mentioned before, the symbols on the card, so the the squares, circles, diamonds, squ- um, triangles are all associated with a different style of conversation. So triangles might be diplomatic, cooperative, and logical, and squares could be I think it's direct, forceful, stubborn. This doesn't have a ton of bearing on the game. Uh, And if anything, it makes me question the conversations because it doesn't make sense that matches 
in this case would progress the conversation to me. Like mm. diplomacy would probably work better against stubborn than being equally stubborn. Right. right. Uh, or forceful. Yeah. Right. So keeping, if you just kept those symbols more abstract, mm-hmm. you don't need those associations. Just right. having these symbols enough communicates what's going on and would allow me to fill in the conversational dynamics in a way that I think better represents how actual conversation works. Uh, like just think about returning home. It, it makes no sense that we wouldn't be able to connect due to conversational style. Yeah. Uh, it makes way more sense, like what you said, that we're we're not connecting because of different lived experiences. Right. Uh, but because they try to force the metaphor by just telling me what those symbols are supposed to mean, I, I think it just kind of breaks that immersion. That's really fair. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that, but that makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah, and I think that's my biggest issue with the game as a whole is that mechanically, I don't think it quite captures the complexity of human communication. In some instances, it really <laughs> does. Weird that it didn't accomplish that huge goal. <laughs> but that's the thing. It gets so close. Yeah. Um, but I think just the whole matching structure seems to adhere to this like Socratic ideal of communication as the union of souls. Right. Like that idealized communication is always about accordance. And mm-hmm. I, you know, in some cases, that's true. Uh, in a lot of cases in real life, that's not. And so I wish the game was able to like model different communicative goals better. Sure. Um, rather than always just having to match, right? Like there's often like a strategy involved that's not really represented here. Like I want to be able to manipulate somebody. Right. Right. Um, I want to be able to or like I want to be able to feel frustration of having to bite my tongue because I know that if I say this thing that I don't really believe, it'll bring this conversation to an end <laughs> amicably and yeah. more quickly. But I still hate that. And like yeah. I want to feel that. Or like I want some conversations to ultimately to succeed, but I want to feel really bad about it because of something I had to sacrifice along the way. Mm-hmm. Right. So like the the binary success failure system, because of the matching, doesn't quite capture that. Mm-hmm. And I think there's I don't know, there you could just push at it more to make it a little bit more yeah. complex. Yeah. But yeah, by and large, loved everything about this game. We'll probably play it a few more times to learn more about There's very different endings for different yeah. playthroughs. And again, we've been talking all about the mechanics. The like the wrapper of this game is also pretty great. The writing's great, the music's great, the art's great. Yep. Um I love the music of this game. Just for pure vibes. Mm-hmm. It's sort of a like a lonely, mellow I don't even know how to describe it, but I I I found it added so much atmosphere to this and so much of a sense of like this being one territory, like mm-hmm. one world. Yeah, yeah. If, you, if anything we've said sounds interesting, try this game out. Signs of the Sojourner, it, no pun intended, does like move the conversation forward about how you do meaningful conversations in games beyond just the dialogue trees. And I think there might be a really interesting way to merge this system with dialogue trees mm-hmm. in the future that I really hope whether these developers get to do or, you know, I hope other people play this and really just get inspired by this because I think there's a lot here that really, again, takes the great advantage of the medium, doesn't knock it 100% of the park, yeah. but is like very close. It's again that thing where like, okay, you took a swing at something, right? Like we sort of um, talked about this with like jank and ambition and some of that mm-hmm. stuff, right? It's like, okay, we we feel some of the limits here, but also there's there's something that we haven't seen before that's that's represented. Yeah, and as like a first attempt at this kind of system, it's like there's genius ideas here. Yeah. Love oh, I'm game. so glad you liked it. I'm, I'm really glad you enjoyed it. Yeah. And I guess that's a great segue back into our next awards category because our next category is about old mechanics that really felt fresh and that we'd like to see again. So yeah. this is the what's old is new again category. Yeah. And here are the nominees. 
the map system from Silent Hill. It was so good. Yes. Always exactly the right amount of information, not making me deal with waypoints, adding basic notations to it, even, you know, without giving me a lot of control over what got added, checking off what doors I've already opened, like just thank you. Thank you, game, for knowing what I want and what is the right amount of detail to give me. Mm -hmm. Seamless multi-phase boss fights in Shadow of the Colossus. Let me tell you about some of these Shadow of the Colossus boss fights that have multiple phases that feel like they are a huge creature organically responding yeah. to what you are doing in ways that make sense. Yes. Um, not, you know, okay, I got his health bar down to half. Now he's going gonna... to... see. Now he's in his second form. Yeah. Now he's turning red and he's going, and he's got two extra arms now. But like... Yeah. Okay, now he's moving on to this other kind of response to me. Like, it, so good. A density of a map in Link's Awakening. Best in the biz. That map, there's something tucked into every square inch of that game. And I think that would be, that's really hard to do in 3D. But you know what? Lots of games are still being made in 2D. This game absolutely, they, they drew a boundary around literally all of the stuff that they wanted to put mm -hmm. in this game and let not one pixel be out of place. And it's incredible. And so one game that I know we've both meaning to play and we haven't gotten around to it that might be a return to this map density that I've heard is Disco Elysium. I've I own Disco Elysium and I just haven't got I to it yet. I think we need to go back and and check out that map. Maybe that's my holiday game. That might have a good Link's Awakening density Ugh, style so map. So good. Um another Shadow of the Colossus entry, The Minimalist HUD. I love the minimalist hood. I've got health. I've got stamina. End of list. I've got boss's health when we when we get to that. Like it just leave me to figure it out. Like I love that that was not a game about numbers popping mm -hmm. out of 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 guys. Um it just it it felt so organic and so elegant. Just elegant. And then finally we have the auto jump from Ocarina of Time. But I think this is standing in for yes. the idea of the auto jump and what that represents. Yeah, it is the idea that if this game is not about testing how good of a jumper I am, don't make me have to be a good jumper. <laughs> Just like if that's not the point, then make it not the point. And jumping is not the point in this game. And so they were like, don't worry about it. Like, we'll just run towards it. You'll jump. If you can make that jump, you'll make that jump, period. This is not the point of this game. This is not a platformer. I think that is so smart. Not every game has to have every everything in the universe like being manually Take controlled. Half-Life. <laughs> yeah. Half-Life could have benefited from this. And so what is the winner of the What's Old is New Again award? So I definitely have a favorite. This took a fair bit of thought from me. But I think the one that is the best uh, response to where games are at right now is probably you changing your mind on the spot i you know what i'm so tempted to i'm so tempted to this is not how awards work uh, this is supposed to be in an envelope accountants have verified it <laughs> okay i think it's the map from silent hill that is yes yeah it's just like way to do it exactly right maybe that's because that's the game of the list that i hadn't played before mm. and so i hadn't experienced that map yeah but 
I think about that map all the time. Me too, honestly. So many games, like games are so big, you need maps. Sure. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, unless you're Dark Souls, then you don't need a map because you're designed really well. <laughs> Jeez. No. Oh, here's the thing. Games are always going to have maps. Mm-hmm. This map just figured out the balance. I think it makes it seem yeah. so easy. One when of, you play this map, you're like, why isn't, why aren't they all like this? Definitely like the connective tissue of a lot of these nominees was about games that figured out how to give you just enough information. Yes. Right, just the exact right amount of information you need to let you, you know, progress and not get frustrated. Mm-hmm. And so many games we've talked about this time and time again, uh, give you way too much information. Uh, when we talk about Dark Souls, we'll see if you think the games maybe give you too little information sometimes. My opinion on that is still under development <laughs> at this time. But for games to nail it is rare. But here we have a list of games that that figured out, you know, let's just give the player exactly what they need to let them progress. Nothing else. Everything yeah. else just gets in the way and is just kind of Stuff. excess on the experience. Yeah, absolutely. Good work, Silent Hill. I hope Silent Hill 2 has that same style. Okay. Our next award is The Black Spot. So this is intended to be the worst part of an otherwise great game. This is like, this is the blemish on what is otherwise an exceptional game. So first up, not having any doors on the map of Super Metroid. Here's where you did not have enough information on your map. This is, this map, it is part of the design of the game, but like, oh God. Uh, Swimming in Super Mario 64. Swimming sucks. Not just because of the eel. No, it just sucks. Uh, Snake being a creep in Metal Gear Solid. That's why he won the Naughtiest Boy. This this black spot. Part of it. Got him, that's why he's an it award winner. It got him winner. another <laughs> award winning Naughty Boy Snake. <laughs> <laughs> um, we have the chapter on a rail from Half-Life. Agreed. That chapter sucks ass. You don't even have to do platforming in that chapter, but it's it's my least favorite chapter by far. And in some ways, the worst thing about it is that you can actually just abandon its central <laughs> conceit, which is using the little cart thing and just go everywhere on foot, which is what I did. Electrocuted. Yeah, if you suck. And you have to bring the cart to, you need the cart to make it to the end eventually. Eventually, but anyway. Ugh. Uh, and finally, the boarded up well from Link's Awakening. Why was it boarded up if it wasn't going to get unboarded up at some point? And again, this is only in the remake. It is not boarded up. In the original. Okay, but that's the version I played. It was a black spot on an otherwise great game. <laughs> <laughs> and so the winner of the Black Spot Award is... On a Rail from Half-Life. Ooh. It is the... Of all of these things, it is the highest contrast between how much I enjoyed being in this part of the game versus how much I enjoyed being in the rest of the game. Zen is looking pretty smug right now. <laughs> Zen's <laughs> feeling good. That's the thing. On a rail, it just sucks. It's too long by like 60%. Like not even, it's not like 20% too long. It's like more than twice as long as it should be. It's way more convoluted than it needs to be. The card thing stick. Like it just, it sucks. That chapter sucks. <laughs> What would you have picked? On a rail. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my nominees might have been different. Sure. But of these, on a rail for sure. Sure, 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 sure. sure. And now for our last award. So we're not doing a game of the year. What we're going to do is Michelle's going to do a a tier list of of the games after. But this is our last award. So this is the award for the best moment. And since this is representative of Michelle's experience, Michelle, I'll let you... Read the nominees. That makes sense. So my first nominee is Liberating Epona in Ocarina of Time. 
going straight past shitty Luigi, realizing that he screwed over <laughs> his brother and got the farm, be like, Epona, I'm going to play the song for you that you love that I learned when I was a child and you will recognize me and we will run and leap over this fence and I will liberate you from shitty Luigi. Just magical, just pure magic from start to finish. It's so good. Second nominee, the first time you get up on a flying Colossus in Shadow mm. of the Colossus. So the first time you do this is not on Phalanx, who is definitely the best boss in that game, but I just like the feeling of the enormity of it and that hesitation for a second where you're asking yourself, like, will the game really let me do this? Like, can I really do this? And then next thing you know, you're up in the air and you're holding on for your life and things moving like it's just so exhilarating and so like beautiful, actually. It's really special. Third, finding your character in Street Fighter. So arriving at the point where I was like vibing with Chun-Li and accepting that like, okay, this is my person. Just that that melding of like you and and the, the character that feels right to you, that just works with the way you want to fight and the way you want to be in that game and what your hands want to do. There is a kind of like alchemy there. Like there is something special about finding your person. What about Baraka? I knew you were going to bring up Baraka. We already talked about Baraka. Baraka sucks. Ugh, I just picked him because of his big teeth. <laughs> um, fourth nominee, the wheelchair in Silent Hill, which really <laughs> I'm using as a bit of a stand-in for like that opening sequence where you first are stumbling out into the fog, you know, being channeled into tighter and tighter corridors. You see this knocked over wheelchair that is just there in this alley and the wheel is still spinning like something has just fallen out of it and scampered off and then immediately you are transported to hell for the first time. Like it just, it's absolutely chilling. It's like all ambiance, like it's all environmental. It's so good. It's such a, it's such a, again, a thesis statement of like what this game is going to be. It rules. And the last one is stealing a tank in Grand Theft Auto. Oh, Grand Theft Auto. Yeah, I got one. Um, it is super fun to steal that tank. I did an audacious thing that didn't seem like it would be possible at first glance and caused a lot of very slow destruction with my enormous war machine. <laughs> I had a good time doing it. It's a bright spot in an otherwise not that bright game. <laughs> but was it the brightest spot? So for the winner of the best moment of the first season of Never Was a Gamer. Liberating Epona. Oh, a wow. A third win for Ocarina. Wow. Yeah, I know. I know. This was such a strong coming together of so many different things that the game has been building to and and just so you're not led there by the nose. It just it felt like I just figured out how to do that and it was the only thing I wanted to do and the game let me do it and it just everything comes together so well and and Epona becomes your companion and so useful to you for the rest of that game. Like it just it feels incredible. Busting an animal out from a, a shitty guy who's keeping them is never not going to be like a highlight of a game. That's always going to feel good. And I think this was like just about as, you know, in love with the medium as I think I felt at any point this year. Assuming that your Dark Souls journey is successful, do you think maybe that the triumph of finishing Dark Souls could become actually the best moment? And if so, we'll correct it on the next episode. I mean, I'll let you know. I'll let you know. Okay. <laughs> All 
I do also want to give a shout out to an honorable mention that I didn't feel it was totally fair to put on this list, but seeing Midgar in Final Fantasy VII Remake, um, and maybe this is just a shorthand for the experience of being pandered to by a large <laughs> budget remake, which I had never experienced before, but that honestly was, that also was so magical to me. I mean, it doesn't, it's not quite within the spirit of this show for me to give that my award, but it was something very special to me that happened, you know, in the games that we played and talked about on the podcast. Great. But but best moment will be Liberating Epona. Hell yeah. Ocarina of Time. Ocarina of Time. Good well, showing. Yeah. Good showing from Ocarina of Time. It has so many highlights. But how will it fare on your overall tier list? Let's take a break. When we come back, we'll find out. Michelle to do her final reflection on the year and instead of you know picking a favorite of all the games or um I said no I said I wouldn't do it <laughs> or you know um ordering the games in reverse order from you know 12 to 1 so we're going to do a tier list yeah tier maker is really you know in style right now I'm I'm doing tiers doing it for the clicks I'm doing <laughs> do it all for the clicks so we have S to D tier yes. uh, that's our range uh, and I think I'm going to go just from D tier up. That makes sense. Yeah. All right. Okay. So do we have some D tier games? We do. Oh, well, I, I'm sure I know one of them. <laughs> so D tier includes Grand Theft Auto Vice City. Oh, also, I want to say, like, this is on the on the scale of games we played this year. Like, I do not, you know, there's a game that's a C in here. I don't think it's objectively a C tier game. I think among this season where we have played some of what are acknowledged to be the best games of all time it's a c amongst these peers this is not reflective of general quality of these games except for vice city which okay, i think so is a d so there's a curve here oh yes yeah okay. that's what i'm saying yeah. except for vice city which is a stone cold d yeah that's a d in all in all contexts. <laughs> okay <laughs> now uh, anyway so vice city is a d Mortal Kombat 2 i'm also forced to give a d you're forced to i'm compelled to okay I wish I didn't have to. Yeah, you were... Was that your biggest disappointment? Yes. You were, I thought I was going to really like Mortal Kombat 2. What was I thinking when I was a kid? Baraka's teeth are cool. Blood. <laughs> God, kids are so stupid. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that was that was a fall from grace. That was tragic. Um, C tier, we have one lonely entry. Any guesses? No. Silent Hill. The best mechanic award yes. winner? Yes, but you know what? I think Silent Hill is one of the only example, maybe the only example of a game we played where I have a strong suspicion that that feels like it's setting the stage for mm. future games as a like more so than being a classic in its own right. Mm. The Pikmin of horror games. The Pikmin of horror games, as everyone says of Silent <laughs> Hill. So again, I do not objectively think it's a C tier game, but in this company, you're leaving room for growth. I yeah, listen. I, th I suspect Silent Hill 2 will be killer. Um, B tier. We got a couple hanging out here. Shadow of the Colossus. Some great mm. ideas. Some 
again, two nominees on the best mechanics. Yeah. List. Listen, all these games. One on the best. All moments. of these games had good ideas. All of these games had good stuff going for them. And also, a B tier game in this company is this is not an insult. It's just the lack of an A or an S. If only Agro is being held captive by a shitty Luigi, maybe it would have scored higher. Yeah, listen, try it next time. Manipulate me with that fake horse death. Get out of here. Um, Super Mario 64. Oh! I, I know. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. That is S. I'm so sorry, but I had to put it B tier. I just, I... No! It had so many great ideas, but it just, it didn't... A Mario game where it is not a pleasure to move as Mario. It is absolutely a is pleasure. Not. Madam. <laughs> not if you weren't there at the time. I, I I really. Sorry. It's my list. I'm sorry. I really am. I knew this one was going to break you. Your list stinks. I'm sure. Um, Black spot of lists award. <laughs> Your list. <laughs> Well, wait and see. Um, Half-Life, also B-tier. Sure. Yeah. That's fine. Yeah. It's very good. And Street Fighter 2, also B. I had a lot of fun with it, but fighting games are never going to be my favorite thing. And it just, my A and S-tier games give something so much more. So my A's and S's, you know what's left. A-tier, Metal Gear Solid. So much that is so good but I cannot give it the S because of a handful of stuff that absolutely sucks shit. It is a hideo game. It is a hideo game. And in moments, hideous. <laughs> Has um, the highs and, and the lows. Yeah. Yeah. Um, also A tier, Link's Awakening. Okay. An, an absolutely outstanding game with nothing to be ashamed of. Um, just falling a little shy of our S and our S tier. The last two games. Mm-hmm. Ocarina of Time, surprising no one, taking so many of these awards. An absolute stunner. Incredible. And also, probably the game that I have thought about the most of any game I have played this season in the time since I played it initially. Super Metroid. Oh, Super Metroid's the game that you've thought about the most. Yeah. Oh. Super Metroid, I have thought about so... That was our first game. I know. And, you know, that's not the only reason that I've thought about it more than any other. It's just time. Um, I The more I think about that game, the longer we go, the more I appreciate it and respect it. I actually would be quite excited to go back and replay that at some time in the near future. It's, I think, the only one of these games that I could see myself replaying in the next, mm. like, year. Like, long term, I could see myself replaying a couple of them, mm-hmm. but short term... I'm like ready to get back into that and do that again. And that's even despite the fact that I'm playing Dark Souls. And we'll talk about the relationship between Super Metroid and Dark Souls. I think that game is incredible. That game is so influential. Just, and I, I, I am amazed at the small, the impact of small touches in that game. Um, I can't wait to play more Metroid. Super Metroid is phenomenal. Wow, that. That almost makes up for the Mario 64 snub. <laughs> I'm, glad, you- I'm really glad you enjoyed Super Metroid. There's uh, a lot of other 2D Metroids you can play that are quite good. I'm excited for you to one day get to Metroid Prime. Yeah, absolutely. Um, just as I'm excited for you to play some more Zelda games, I'm really glad that you kind of got your feet wet with a number of these 
series Mm -hmm. and hopefully you can continue playing them if not for the show just in your spare time most of these games i would play later iterations in the series and then we will leave you on a cliffhanger because there is one omission here dark souls i am so not sure where dark souls is gonna end up and so i have moments moments when i think i could place it at any one of these tiers (laughs) (laughs) okay so we'll get your final verdict next episode absolutely But before we wrap up, let's end our special holiday episode by looking a bit ahead into the new year to season two, because we are going to make some format changes. Yeah, um, I'm really excited about our season two. We're going to change a couple of things, but also a lot of the core of the show is going to stay the same. The number one change, more games. Yeah. More games. We need to play more games. Yeah. And I'm very excited about that. They're still going to mostly be selected from during my like gap period. Mm-hmm. So, you know, older but not Atari, I think is how we've set those parameters. Yeah. But larger variety, not just these games that have this huge cultural impact kind yeah. of left this lingering mark. Not the biggest boys always. There will be some of those probably. Mm-hmm. I think the one thing that I want us to capture is... The general pleasures of discovering new games, discovering weird games, uh, discovering some stinkers, such a big part of, you know, engaging with any medium is just, you know, picking things off the shelf. That experience of, you know, of going to the rental store when you do that and just seeing a box cover that looks weird. And then, okay, I'll grab this for the weekend. Let's see. (laughs) And maybe it becomes... Echo the Dolphin. Maybe it becomes one of your favorite games. Maybe you play it for 20 minutes and then regret your purchase and try to get your mom to bring you back. Maybe it's Donkey Kong (laughs) 64. But, you know, I think that like that's such a part of the experience of of playing games. And and I want us to capture some of that, play some stuff that, you know, yeah, it's not the stuff that we have to kind of spell in all capitals and has this gravitas to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That'll be really fun. So instead of having, you know, these pairs of episodes where we do one where we talk about what I know about the game and some history, then I go play it, then we come back and discuss the game. Instead, our next season is going to be made up of short arcs where we explore a couple of games that all pertain to a certain theme of the arc. And we'll mix it up now and then with like more grab bag style episodes where we'll discuss a bunch of games that we've sampled, you know, even if we haven't finished them all, but that are just like a little faster moving and, and you know, more playful and more quick. So we're really excited about this. We think it's going to be really fun. Uh, we're still going to be coming out every two weeks on Thursdays. And we hope you'll stick with us and join us in the new season. Yeah, this has been so fun. We've been talking about a bunch of games already that I'm really excited for us to play together. I'm so excited for our first couple of arcs. Uh, it, it, it should be fun. I, I, yeah, I'm just wondering how you're going to respond to some games. I've got some <laughs> games lined up that I don't even think you know exist. That... Hey, he literally just tented his finger yeah. like a villain. <laughs> <laughs> True villain of next season nominee, Dimitri. I've, <laughs> I've got some things that I think will surprise you. I really hope they do. I can't wait to be surprised. But that's next year. Next episode, we got to finish Dark Souls. We got to see if Michelle... Makes it to the end if she throws it into the trash. That episode's going to be a doozy. <laughs> I can just feel it coming. I'm really excited to talk about Dark Souls with you. I'm going to have opinions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. Well, thank you so much for listening, uh, especially to this weird holiday episode. We hope you enjoyed it and we hope you had a, had a, are keeping safe and getting through 2020 okay. Um, as always, if you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen or tell a friend, hey, 
it's a great time to jump onto this show. We're wrapping up an old season and starting a new thing and there's lots of content there and the, you, you can you can enjoy it with your with your friends. Um, as always, you can find more information about us and the show and things we've referred to at neverwasagamer.com and you can follow us on Twitter at neverwasagamer. Do you think 2020 is the Dark Souls of years? Oh my God. I hope 2021 is not the Dark Souls 2 of years. Well, woof. <laughs> but thanks so much for listening and we'll see you next time when... Michelle stares the real biggest boss right in its eyes, <laughs> takes on Dark Souls, gives her final verdict, and we will finally give our verdict on whether Michelle has been able to successfully become a gamer. <laughs> <laughs>